I'm Dr. Leif Tapanilla from the Idaho Museum of Natural History, and I'm here with Peter Pruitt from Zoo Idaho, and this is The Nature of Idaho. Coming to you from the 1B, Bannock County that is, we're talking all about Idaho, its wild places and wild faces, the natural setting that makes Idaho an incredible place to live and be proud of. Today our guest is Sean Chuma. He's owner of Tandem Base in Twin Falls. Peter, we're talking about base jumping. I have a hard time jumping off a three-foot retaining wall. I think between paragliding and uh, base jumping, we've got some work cut out for us. Well, right, we're just starting. You know? we're, just, <laughs> we're just starting. You know, for me, mountain biking, downhill skiing, and now base jumping. Okay, you're working your way up. I, I like it. Yeah. One step at a time. Yeah. Well, we'll dig into that first. We've got some nature news. Yeah, Leif. You know, have you ever wondered what the numbers on uh, football jerseys really mean? Oh, they mean so much. Totally, right? Right. Yeah, you know, at one point it used to be your position, I think, and then they opened it up for anyone can put oh, the any numbers, number. Yeah, don't mean yeah, quite don't as mean much, much what they used But, to. you know, if we're watching the football game, those numbers might mean that we look at that athlete as thin or not so thin. Get out. So the yeah. number that they have influences how we think about that? How we think about the weight of that person. Go on. Yeah, so we've got some research from UCLA that has shown in two separate experiments, people viewed football players with jerseys numbered 10 through 19 looked thinner than jerseys numbered 80 through 89, even though they were the exact same body size. That's really cool. Right. And what they say it shows is that our brain, we've got some of these learned associations. And for us, we've got these associations with numbers. And perceptions of numbers mean the larger the number, the larger the quantity or the bigger that is. You know, when, when we look at 88 pounds of bacon, we absolutely know that that's way more than 18 pounds of bacon. <laughs> and so when we're looking at these numbers, these, these learned associations, what it does for our brain, the world around us is noisy and unreliable and ambiguous. And our brain has to cut through all that information and noise to make really quick decisions, which is critical for our survival, especially in the good old days when you know we had predators hunting us. This quick learned association has evolved into us thinking that a wide receiver with the number 88 is heavier than the same guy at number 18 really doesn't affect his playing ability. But in the real world, it could play into some you know implicit bias where We've got these perceptions and cognitive biases which influence judgment decisions and behaviors towards other people. And we might automatically think, oh, Leaf, you have a beard. People with beards are always cool. That might not be the case. <laughs> that might not be the case. And uh, yeah. I see. So I, I sense a weight loss scheme. Right. Of selling people low numbered jerseys yeah. as a way to change their perception in well, the world. I'm going to wear black and white. Vertical, oh, vertical stripes. Yeah. Yeah. Vertical stripes with uh, the number 11. Very slimming. So I, I'd probably lose 15 pounds <laughs> right off the bat. I love it. But it's all just fooling our mind. Right. That's great. Our brain doing what it needs to do, but still kind of fooling us in the I, same instant. I like it, Peter. We've got a new, whole new scheme coming up right totally. here. Trivia question today relates to our base jumping topic. Of course, in Twin Falls, we've got the Perrine Bridge. When was the first? version of the Prime Bridge built. That's our question. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk base jumping with Sean Chuma. Be right back. 
Hi, I'm Mary Louise Kelly. Here at NPR, we try to reach all kinds of listeners. My name is Leo, and I'm eight years old. And we take feedback very seriously. I never hear much about nature or dinosaurs or things like that. So when Leo wrote us about our appalling lack of dinosaur coverage on All Things Considered, we knew we had to talk to him. Hi, Leo. Hi. I hear from your parents that... You want to be a paleontologist when you grow up, and now we've got one on the line for you. Okay. (laughs) Let me let you ask a question. How did dinosaurs grow to be so big? This is hard-hitting journalism, because these are the types of questions that keep paleontologists up at night. In public radio, we value our relationship with each and every one of our listeners. You listen to us, and we listen to you too. So keep our connection strong. Donate to this station right now. Here's how. You know who covers dinosaurs really well. The Nature of Idaho on KISU. Support NPR and KISU programs by visiting KISU.org and click donate. Hey, welcome back from the break. I want to welcome our guest today, Sean Chuma, to the show. He's the owner of Tandem Base in Twin Falls. And we're talking about base jumping. So thanks for joining us on The Nature of Idaho. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Well, Sean, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, I'm a professional base jumper. I've been jumping for about, I think, 17 years now. I started skydiving when I was 16. And so it's been a good, I don't know, 25 years or so of skydiving. Once I had 700 skydives, I came to Idaho to take a base jumping class and uh, learn how to base jump on my own. And now I've got 8,200 base jumps. As far as I know, that's the most out of anybody. And I teach people how to base jump on their own after they have 200 skydives because skydiving is the best training for for base jumping. And I also take people on tandem base jumps. I actually started the first tandem base company with a couple of friends about 14 years ago, and I run it on my own now. But yeah, we were the first ones to to have a company by about a decade. There's other little ones popping up now, but yeah, so that's kind of what I do. We're going to start with the obvious. Skydiving, you have to get in a plane and go up in the air. Base jumping, you're going to keep your feet somewhat close to the ground, or at least you're not in a plane. So let's kind of go past that. And what exactly is base jumping and what's it, what's involved with it? Yeah, so you're right. Base jumping is jumping off of fixed objects. So if it's attached to the ground, then that's a base jump. Whereas even if you're jumping out of a hot air balloon, it's very similar to a base jump, but it's not attached to the ground. So Base actually stands for building antenna, span, and earth. So spans would be bridges and earth would be cliffs. And we jump off all those types of objects, um, and that's considered a base jump. What kind of height do you need as a minimum in order to do a base jump? It kind of depends how gutsy you are, but (laughs) I would say around 170 feet or up is is kind of a safer jump. And there's different methods of deploying the parachute from different heights. So like from 170 feet, we would do what's called a static line or a pilot chute assist. And that's where the parachute just comes out right away. And if it gets higher, like up around 300 feet, then you can jump and you free fall and you actually throw the pilot chute out, which is, that's what pulls out everything else. And then if you go higher than that, then you can actually free fall a long time and start put your body in a certain shape where you start doing what's called tracking and you can move forward. And then if you're you know up around 1,500 feet, you can have wingsuits on and fly down mountains and all that. So more height is pretty fun. I like to jump higher stuff just because you get more free fall time. 
So what you're saying is parachutes don't act like cartoons where you can deploy it 10 feet above the ground and you stop right away, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly like uh, Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Maybe not surprising. Well, I'm going to start from the first perspective, which is I've, I've seen folks in Twin Falls uh, at Perrine Bridge. And the first comment I, I ever hear of anybody that's watching with me is, are they crazy? What are they doing? Are they nuts? Let's head on. Are you crazy? Are you nuts, Sean? <laughs> I probably have a little bit of crazy because I do get that question a lot. I mean, all the tourists always come by and they, they've got all kinds of questions and they always say, you guys are crazy. We partake in a risk-taking behavior and we have fun at it, but it's not quite like everybody would think. It's not like you just go for it. Um, all of us have done a lot of skydiving to prepare. You know, there's certain things we've done to prepare to do this. So Myself, for instance, I had 700 skydives before I started base jumping. The people that I teach have to have 200 or more um, before they start base jumping because it's easier to learn how to fly a parachute when you're thousands of feet up in the air on a skydive than, you know, a couple hundred feet up above a small landing area. So, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, yeah, we definitely look at life a little bit differently. Um, but there's people from all over, you know, all walks of life that come and do this sport. Like there's, you know, people that just live in their van and go around all over the place all the way up to, you know, I've had rocket scientists in the class and, you know, all kinds of different people. So it's not just your typical adrenaline junkie type person that does it, it's all kinds of different people. So what are some of the things that you have to do prior or as you prepare for a base jump? Well, we have to pack the parachute. So that's, that's probably, you know, the main part or the most important part. Um, and that takes about, I'd say typically a half hour or so. That is a pretty hard thing to learn how to do. Um, it's, it's pretty miserable actually learning how, because there's so many different steps and you have to get it right. You, you got to practice over and over again. Um, but then once you get it, it's kind of just, you know, muscle memory. And, um, yes, yeah, so you have to do that. And then, you know, you got to check the weather and make sure the wind is good for it because that can definitely affect your jump. If it's too windy or from the wrong direction, um, it can cause, you know, problems with the jump. We're typically looking for no wind on most jumps, especially if you're jumping off of buildings or cliffs, because now there's something to like, if you, if your parachute opens backwards, like facing 180 degrees backwards and you're jumping off a cliff, well, then you are likely or at risk of running into that object. So you would have to turn it around very quickly. That's why the Perrine Bridge is a lot safer because if the parachute opens backwards, um, then you just fly under the bridge and you, you don't have anything to hit. So that's uh, you know, some of the stuff we think about. You know, I never even thought about this with the parachute opening backwards. Is it just, you know, is that how you pack the chute? Is it how, how you release the chute? You know, how does it open backwards? Yeah, so that's that's a good question. It's mainly because of your body position. So when you jump off of something, you can, you know, a lot of people just jump, we call it flat and stable, where they're just belly to the earth, falling that way. Um, I like to do lots of flips when I jump, but it's that point where you deploy your pilot chute, where you throw the pilot chute out and where the parachute starts to come off of your back. That's the crucial part. And you want your back kind of facing up in the air and you want your body to be symmetrical. So if you're leaning to the right when that parachute starts to come off your back then it is you know typically can open off heading or maybe to the right so we're trying to just be real symmetrical that's the main reason but it also can be due to the pack job 
um, or even the pilot chute swirling around after you throw it out. And just for the listeners, the pilot chute is that it's this little parachute that you either hold in your hand or it's kind of tucked in a little pocket on the bottom of the parachute container. And you throw that out. It basically catches the air like a little anchor. And then it pulls two pins that open up the backpack part, which we call the container. And then that's also connected to the parachute and it pulls all that out until it's to line stretch. And then as you're falling, the parachute starts to inflate with air and turns into a wing. Are you using parachutes in a base jump that are different from a skydive parachute where you're falling from a greater height? Yeah, they're similar, but they're different. Like the base jumping parachutes are specifically made for base jumping and they're made to open faster and to have better heading performance, which is, you know, pointing in the right direction. And they're a lot bigger too. They're, I'd say roughly twice the size of the skydiving parachutes that most people use. They're kind of slower too, which is helpful because it just slows down time in case it opens facing the, uh, the object. We have more time to turn it around rather than if it's going really fast. So I'm thinking about the tandem jumping and you're talking about, you know, as the person jumps, you, you just maintain that measure of control with your body and your body positioning. That's just you doing that. Now, when you're tandem jumping, how do you control your body positioning when there's a person with you that might not be so calm and collected as you? Well, it is a much bigger job because now I have to control two bodies. But I always have I have this little platform that we jump off at the Perrine. I've done them all over the world of a different objects. But at the Perrine, we have a little platform and I have them put their toes over the edge, like half. They got their feet about halfway over the edge so that they're on their tipping point. And then I just ask them if they're ready. And then they tell me, yes, I'm ready. And then I just say three, two, one, see it. And I just shove both of us off. And sometimes they tuck up in a ball or, you know, sometimes they hop a little bit. Usually I like them to just stand there so I can push them off. And sometimes they, you know, kind of mess with our body position a little bit. But because of the way that we deploy the the canopy, the parachute, um, which is a static line, it's less likely to open off heading. So that's how I control it. So let's talk a little bit about the Perrine Bridge. So Twin Falls, of course, has this beautiful bridge that we drive over and, and it has an unbelievable, one of the nicest views in all of Idaho right there. Could you talk a little bit about that bridge and why it's so special for base jumping? Yeah, so it is just the perfect recipe for base jumping um, because the community totally embraces it. I mean, this is, Twin Falls has got to be the coolest little town in the world. It's pretty cool because they, they let us do it. Um, you know, if they didn't, we'd probably have to sneak around in the nighttime and do it, but they love it. It brings in tourism. People love to come watch us. And the bridge itself is perfect for jumping because it has a sidewalk that we can actually walk out on, you know, versus driving out in a car and getting out of a, getting out of a car really quickly and jumping off. We can just walk out there. So that's nice. It's over water, like a nice, you know, it's a pretty lazy river down there. The water doesn't move too fast. So that's good for emergency landings. If we, you know, if something happens and we need to land in the water, it's a really good emergency landing area that's not moving real fast. So we're not likely to be swept downstream. It also has a pretty big landing area that we can land in, whereas most bridges or a lot of them have really fast water and a lot of trees under there uh, that can make it pretty dangerous. Yeah, and we can get boats down there to get people out. Yeah, and it's actually a pretty decent height too. So 500 feet, well, it's 486 feet 
that's a pretty good height for base jumping. That gives us, if you measured it as far as like the impact point, like if you dropped a large rock off of the bridge, it would take about like roughly five and a half to five and three quarters seconds to hit the water. So we call that uh, the distance to impact. So that's pretty good. As long as we get a parachute open in about four seconds or so, then we're good to go there. So everything just kind of lines up, you know, it's, and it's a great bridge and highly celebrated in our, in our town. You're looking at, especially your company and the base jumping, where are people coming from? Yeah, they're coming from all over the world. I would say in the past, it used to just be the locals, but so many of them have jumped now and the word just, you know, keeps getting farther and farther out there. But I've had people come from all over the world. And some people, I remember a lady came from Australia for 24 hours to to jump. Luckily, the weather was good, but she just came, jumped and went back home. And I've had a guy from Germany and yeah, they just come from from all over the place, most, mostly within the United States. Tell me about the experience off that bridge. You said it's five seconds from top to bottom, four seconds to deploy. So is that four seconds of free fall that you experience? Yeah, not on the tandems. On the tandems, we fall about a second and a half because we're doing a static line. But yeah. typically, people take between one and about three seconds. We call it a delay until you open your parachute. Okay. You know, if you're doing multiple flips, then you're taking about three seconds or so. Four would be kind of pushing it because the opening actually does get kind of hard. I mean, I've seen people get their shoes knocked off before and your neck can get pretty sore. Yeah, it's it's probably best to take maybe around two seconds. I'm just envisioning you counting one Mississippi, two <laughs> Mississippi. <laughs> Throw! <laughs> yeah, I always talk about base jumper time. It's when people are in free fall and they see the ground rushing at them, they tend to think that time is, is going by a, a lot faster. It's like your brain is processing in more frames per second. So one second might seem like four or five seconds. So I, I often have students that, you know, like jump and throw their pilot shoot real quick. And then they say, did I take three seconds? And I'm thinking, no, man, that was about a half second. <laughs> oh, it happens all the time. So the what's the free fall like? You've done this so many times. How do you describe the feeling? I think it feels a bit like it would feel being in space because right when you jump off, you get this weightless feeling and that's my favorite part. And that I'd say that's most people's favorite part is that, you know, you're completely detached from earth and you're just in harmony with gravity and it feels like you're just floating. Um, and then you start speeding up and then with different senses, like, you know, your eyes, you can see the ground coming at you. You start to feel the wind on your face and, you know, you just become very sensitive to kind of like what's going on in that moment. And it, uh, yeah, it feels really special. I mean, it's the closest thing you can get to being a superhero. And, you know, and I'm thinking about this too, you know, the first time, you know, say I go base jumping the first time, I don't think I'll be able to focus in on all that going on. But, you know, as many times as you've jumped, you know, there's those moments where as you're jumping, I mean, you can pull all those senses in and really move into some of those minute feelings that you're experiencing. And it, most likely, I'm sure it brings your jumping to a different level than people who are just trying it on vacation. Yeah, there's a lot happening in such a short amount of time. And I'd say most people in their first jumps, 
when they land, they oftentimes don't remember anything just because it goes by so fast and it's more almost terrifying. And then as you do it more and more, you start to take in a lot more information. And then that's kind of what makes you better because you have to react so quickly to, you know, different scenarios. It just takes, you know, I mean, you can do a lot in a short amount of time, but it, uh, yeah, it just takes a lot of experience to kind of be able to be calm in that moment. Well, I was going to ask, so you must be well beyond, you know, having, I don't know, a moment of hesitation or, or scared feeling doing it. Whereas, you know, the first time I'm sure you jumped out of an airplane, there was a little hesitation or nervousness. And I bet a bunch of your clients, some of them are going to be a little tight. Do you ever get over that or do you still get butterflies? No, I still, I have a, a high respect for the sport because, you know, it can be done safely. But also there's still like driving a car, there's still accidents that can happen. So I definitely don't take it for granted. And I have lost some friends in this sport. Um, so I take it very seriously. And just having seen some of the things that I've seen, I, you know, that it does kind of, I, I remember all that stuff and it, it stays with me each time I jump. So I feel like it gives me a healthy respect and, and probably a healthy fear of the sport, which keeps me you know, on my toes, it keeps me careful. Um, you would think that it was, you know, people ask me all the time, are you, are you even, you know, is it even fun? Are you tired of it? I'm definitely not tired of it. It's definitely still, um, can be a little bit scary. So I just combat that by precision and just constantly building my skill. Yeah. I, and we've said it before. Complacency is the big, oh, right. is the big danger in any kind of sport or a lot of activities. Um, the moment we're like, ah, I've done it a thousand times, it'll be okay. And having that healthy attitude of, you know, this, no matter how many times I do a base jump, there is risk involved and I've got to take all these steps to eliminate as many risks as possible. And, you know, that's a, that's a great approach. And I was also kind of thinking, you know, you're not base jumping just here in Twin Falls. You've gone all over the place. And I imagine when you get to a new site, there's always going to be a measure of butterflies because there's a measure of unknown. Yeah, you're exactly right. I just got back from Italy last week and we were doing uh, wingsuit base jumping in the Dolomites. And it was a bunch of different cliffs. We were getting helicopter rides up to the top. And I was nervous every time up there because, you know, we'd be jumping off and taking new lines down the mountain, flying, you know, like just a couple feet off the ground down in these trenches. You got to be completely on point every time. And also you have to kind of have control of your desires because you want to get really close. I mean, it's fun to be close to the ground because then you can really have a, a true perception of your speed, but you also have to be like, okay, I, you know, how close is close enough? I want to make sure I can do this again. And you know, you got to be pretty careful um, so that you can do it again. But yeah, I love jumping all over the place. Um, I've jumped in Malaysia off of the KL tower a bunch of times and off of buildings in big cities and yeah, a bunch, a lot of different countries. I think almost every continent except Antarctica I'm supposed to go down there in January to try to do a base jump. <laughs> Tell me about wingsuits. Uh, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen video, GoPro video of, of people with the, I don't know, it kind of looks like Batman just flying down the mountain. It looks so fast and fun. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, so it, 
feels like it's a little suit that you put on. It looks like a bat suit. Some people call it a squirrel suit. It's got, you know, it's kind of like a parachute in the sense that you jump off and it fills up with air and makes this rigid wing formed around your body. And it really just turns you into a little fighter jet. And (laughs) with a lot of practice, you have a lot of control. I mean, we can like, we can go through holes in rocks that are, you know, not much bigger than our bodies. We can go about 170 miles an hour down mountains. Um, You have the capability with that speed of actually going back up in the air, which you do to open your parachute um, to slow down. And it's, uh, it's amazing. It feels just like, I know it's, it's nice because you're actually flying your body and it's a, a beautiful feeling. I mean, like, like I said, it's, it's superhero stuff. And uh, you can even flip over onto your back and fly on your back and you can do like corkscrews and just dive, you know, through these trenches and it's wild. It's so much fun. I love it. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking he, he mentions practice. Um, where do you practice? How right. do you practice that? <laughs> well, that's yeah. You you want to get really good skydiving a wingsuit first. So, I mean, I'd say you want, you'd want to have at least 200 wingsuit skydives before you did a wingsuit base jump, but that's not even that much. You just want to be very proficient in it. So you're, cause you can get in flat spins in those suits. I mean, I've done it before. Like I remember when I was trying to learn how to fly on my back, I flipped over and then all of a sudden I'm spinning out of control and it's, and you can feel the blood being pulled to your toes and to your head. And, um, and then you kind of have to like figure out a, a way of getting out of that. If that happened on a base jump, it'd be over. So you really do want to practice a lot in the sky and just takes over and over again. Cause at first it does feel like a straight jacket. Man, that sounds, it sounds like fun. And I appreciate that you guys like bring videos so that I can experience it without having to do it. <laughs> I'm a chicken. I'll be honest. I'm a total chicken, but that just looks like a blast. It's so much fun. <laughs> 170 miles an hour. Yeah. You can get going up to about 200 if oh, you God. really just, pin it straight down how long i guess from a base jump can you get a flight out of that when you were out in italy for example it varies so when i was out there if we took a so you can fly like flat ish or you can dive really steep if you're flying flat you can get i mean depending on how high it is i I don't even know because i don't do that that much but maybe a minute and a half and if you're diving though it's I mean, it was taken from about a 3,000 foot cliff. So like vertical drop of 3,000 feet. It seemed like we were, you know, flying maybe like 25 or 30 seconds until we opened the parachute because you're just getting down on it. It must be very physical. And, you know, I'm I'm thinking about a, a run down a ski hill, which is a familiar thing for, I think, a lot of our listeners. After you've done, I, you know, a, a certain length of the mountain, you know, you feel you feel the burn in the legs and maybe you want to pause for a second to just give yourself a little rest. But you're in the sky. I don't think you get a chance to pause. It's physical to have to shape yourself and control your direction. Does it get tiring, I guess, within a flight? On big skydives, it gets kind of tiring. But on the base jumps, you know, you would think you're moving around a lot, but it's they're so sensitive that it's just very small movements that, you know, so your body, it's almost like your body is staying still. Um, you're just putting these tiny little inputs into it to do like big maneuvers. So it's not much movement. It's just about staying relaxed and really feeling the air as best you can, because it starts to feel really liquid as you're, as you're flying through it. And if you make too hard of a movement, it just, you end up killing your speed. You're trying to keep your speed up because 
as you're cruising down a mountain, you don't have an engine to, to power up and make you come off the ground. So you're really dependent on just going really fast. And if you keep up that speed, all that speed helps you. Like if you, if there's a rock coming and you need to go up over it, then you have tons of power if you have lots of speed. So you're just trying to keep that speed the whole way down. That's actually the safer way to do it rather than just kind of lazily flying along. Because if you're going really slow, then you just don't have any power to pull up. And that's how people get themselves in trouble sometimes and can't make it over a ridge or something like that. This is fascinating stuff, Sean. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your experience with us. And folks will get a chance to go out to Twin Falls and meet up with you. Uh, before we close up, you know, we've got a trivia question that I want you to answer for us. Uh, when was the first Perrine Bridge built? Okay, so there's one that was built. The previous one that's there now was 1976. And the first one is this uh, pretty old looking bridge. I've seen pictures of it, but that was 1926. Right on. Right. Uh, and, and Sean, thank you so much for joining us. And you don't have to be adrenaline junkie to head out to Twin Falls and do a tandem jump with Sean. You just have to be willing to try a new experience. So to learn more about base jumping, yeah, please visit tandembase.com and book yourself an appointment. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks. The Nature of Idaho receives support from listener contributions to KISU-FM. Shows are produced at Idaho State University with editing and production by Kalise Kendall and Jamin Anderson. Music is by Idaho's very own Sons of Bannock. Audio of this and all past episodes of The Nature of Idaho can be found at KISU.org from Spotify and other select podcast services. Send your thoughts and suggestions to noidkisu at isu.edu.